This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Grasso Show, nevertheless, here on 98.7 ESPN. As per usual, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Jacob Perry and Harvey Cruz, they are here. They are producing the program, and we're taking it right up until 10 o'clock. Gordon and Larry will take over the reins at that point in time on this busy Thursday evening where week four in the National Football League is going to get underway in Cincinnati between the Bengals and the Dolphins. Dolphins trying to continue being one of the two unbeaten teams in the NFL, them and the Philadelphia Eagles, of course. But I don't know. I think they're going to have a tough one tonight. If you heard me with the K-Show guys a couple of minutes ago, I mean, you know, Dolphins, they had to work for that one last week against Buffalo. You know, defense was asked to do a lot. Played 90 snaps in that heat. Now go on the road on a short week and having to beat a Bengals team, which has confidence, fresh off that win over the Jets last week, back at home. They're wearing the white helmets and the white unis and all those things. So we'll see what's in store here, but that gets underway a little bit later on, as per usual here on a Thursday evening. No baseball tonight for the Mets and the Yanks. Much, much deserved day off, certainly for Metropolitans, what they had to engineer in the late innings, thanks to Eduardo Escobar and some nice relief work by that bullpen to at least, at least salvage one of the two games against the Miami Marlins. And if you heard me yesterday, when I was filling in for Greeny's show a little bit earlier in the day, I said, if the Mets lost last night, I didn't think they were winning the division. I know mathematically it was still possible, of course, and he got the huge series against the Braves this weekend, but it would have just sent like an awful vibe You know, like from a confidence standpoint, you would have felt miserable if you were a fan. Same old, same old. Here we go again. Late season tailspin. Can't win the games when they matter the most. Right? Because we've been down this road before with the Mets, specifically with the Marlins. But no. Something weird happened along the way, and they were able to win that game in thrilling fashion in 10 innings. So now you take the day off, you go down to Atlanta, and really the whole season has been building for these three games. Is it not? Mets, Braves. One game separates them in the division. You got your three best pitchers going. Take care of business and really put a stamp on this National League East. That's what you're hoping to accomplish here if you are the Mets. So we're going to do plenty on that series throughout the course of the night. Kevin McAlpin, who works for the Braves Radio Network, is going to join us a little bit later on in the program to get the Atlanta perspective on things. John Harper. Our buddy from SNY, longtime baseball columnist, will talk a little Mets and Yankees with us a bit later on in the program. And we'll do our Behind Enemy Lines feature, as we do each and every week, on the two upcoming football opponents with the locals. So we'll cover the Steelers tonight with Jerry Dulac of the Steelers Radio Network to talk about the black and gold, who don't really look like a Steeler team that we've been used to seeing in recent years um you know the cast of characters has changed a little bit they don't necessarily look as formidable but nevertheless Jets got to go in there and win a football game on Sunday and get back to two and two and then take this thing hopefully on a better path than maybe what a couple of these Sundays have looked like now that Zach Wilson is back in the fold under center at the quarterback position so all things that we will tackle over the course of these three hours but but we got to start of course with What happened last night in Toronto, and that was Aaron Judge putting his name in the record books and finally, finally, finally snapping out of that funk and hitting home run number 61. I was starting to have my doubts, be perfectly honest with you. I was. I mean, it had been seven games. 
And you also throw in the fact that, you know, are pitchers even going to be giving him something to hit, right? I mean, he was taking his walks. He was getting on base, doing whatever was necessary to help the team win. But was he going to get an opportunity to square one up and to move a little bit closer to setting this record? Well, he finally got that opportunity in the seventh inning on a 3-2 pitch. And it came at an extremely opportune time, right, when you had a go-ahead two-run home run. It wasn't just window dressing. It wasn't just, you know, a meaningless solo home run late in the game. No, it gave the Yankees the lead. And how many big knocks has he given you all season long? So isn't it almost fitting that the home run that he hits to tie the record is one that is extremely consequential for the Yankees in trying to win another baseball game, which they did. But it was starting to look a little murky there, to be honest. You know, 35 at-bats since that last one. Little iffy. So now he ties the record. He's got the ball back. What was the guy? What was that guy's name that just missed out on the home run? What was it like Vinny Lasagna or something like that? What was it? Frankie Lasagna. I said Vinny. Frankie. Same thing. Frankie Lasagna. Now, is that his real? You think that's his real name, Lasagna? Or is that just like a name he goes by, a stage name? Maybe he's big up there in Toronto. Maybe he does like the, the comedy clubs or something. I don't know. Oh, he owns a restaurant. Is it called Frankie Lasagna's? But he well, he has to have lasagna on the menu if he you know, owns the restaurant. It would be a crime if he didn't. It would be a crime. Look, I was the same guy here yesterday, and I'll own up to it. I said that I thought it was probably a good time, meaning last night's game, if Aaron Boone would think about maybe giving Aaron Judge the night off, get him off his feet a little bit, right? No harm, no foul. Yankees got the division wrapped up. All is right with the world. You know, he was scuffling a little bit at the plate. Maybe he was pressing. So I thought that maybe a day off would do him good because, remember, the Yankees had today off. You string back-to-back rest days. Then you go into that final series at home against Baltimore this weekend, maybe fully rested, feeling 100%, and then you take another stab at the record. Well, so much I know, right? At least Boone made him the DH, and he had enough left in the tank there to hit that home run in the seventh inning, which was good to see. And now he gets to try for the record at home, number 62. wonder how much tickets are going for on the open market, or on the secondary market, I should say. Same thing, on Friday night. And by the way, it is a Amazon game, and it's a yes game. So you got options. You don't have to sit here and moan and complain that the game is on Amazon, and Jeff Bezos is the only one that's, that's depriving you from watching the game on yes. No, 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 no. You could watch it on yes. They did just solid, because history is at stake, you know? You thought free two-day shipping was a big deal with Amazon? Well, maybe their biggest feature is they let, yes, simulcast this game on Friday night. Now, weather is a little bit dicey on Saturday with the storm and the, and the, you know, the remnants of the hurricane or whatever that's making its way up the coast. So we're supposed to get a nice chunk of rain, which is not really conducive to playing baseball, as you can imagine. So I wonder, let's just say no home run on Friday, and they have to play a double dip on Sunday. If you're the Yankees, do you put Judge in the lineup in both games? I mean, he'll probably want to because those are going to be the last two home games, and those are going to be his last opportunities to hit number 62 in front of the fans at Yankee Stadium. Otherwise, he's going to have to go down to Texas and do it in that four-game set down there in Arlington. I got I mean, look, in a perfect world, he does it tomorrow, and then you can forget about all these other things. And we've spent so much time talking about it, right? Because as we've gotten closer and as he – you know, certainly got to like 55 home runs, for example, right? You began to realize that, okay, this is going to happen. 
It's only a matter of time. It's not if, but when. And so it seems like we've been on this judge watch forever and ever and ever. But now that it's finally partially accomplished, it's an impressive feat. You take a step back and you analyze what just happened and what we've witnessed. You know, you think about the history of the Yankees, the history of baseball. Yankees have been around for over 100 years. So has the American League. Nobody has ever hit more home runs for either than Aaron Judge and Roger Maris in a single season. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You know, rewind to April. Rewind to April. Judge turns down $213 million. Going to bet on himself this year. Cashman goes out there and tells the world exactly what the Yankees offered, kind of trying to win the PR battle against Aaron Judge and the player, making him look like the greedy bad guy. Oh, what's the matter? He can't live off of $213 million? How dare him? This is Aaron Judge, a guy who can't stay healthy. Aaron Judge, who doesn't have a track record of durability, and he's going to go out there and put together some monster season to where he's going to reset the market in free agency and he's going to command a contract that is substantially higher than what we were offering? Nonsense. I'll tell you, deep down, you get Brian Cashman, you get Hal Steinbrenner and everybody with the Yankees in a corner, and you inject them with truth serum back in April. You really think that they believed that Aaron Judge was capable of putting together a season like this? Not in their wildest dreams. Not saying that they thought he was a bad player. They thought he was a good player. That's why they offered him $213 million. But an all-time historical season? No. Not in a million years. I didn't. Sure, a lot of you people felt exactly the same way. How could you? This hasn't been done virtually ever. Ever. And you know what the crummy part about it is? Like, it's getting a lot of play. But could you imagine if McGuire and Sosa never happened in 98? Could you imagine if bonds never happen in 2001 how much even more attention that this would be getting like it's getting a lot but imagine if those things never took place i mean this would be like around the clock news local national you name it international this is all people will be talking about kind of like the coverage around 1998 was with mcguire and sosa non-stop but it is still special And it is still something that's important. And I guess the best thing about it, too, if you're a Yankee fan, is that, you know, you could sit back and you can enjoy this and just root for the player to go out there and hit one more over the fence because now you don't even have to worry about the results of these games. You don't have to concern yourself with clinching a playoff spot or making sure you wrap up the division. You got all that done already. It's finished. You know, you want to win maybe a few more games to get to 100? All right, that's a pretty cool milestone. You check that box. That's nice to have. But the remaining seven games of the season, it's all about 99 hitting one more out of the yard. That is it. That is essentially what the Yankees last week of the regular season boils down to. 99 going deep one more time. And then you worry about all that time off you have after the season going into the playoffs because you got that first round by. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Love to hear from you. Your thoughts on this. Are we witnessing the record in your mind? Is this really and truly history? Or do you believe that what happened in 2001 with Barry Bonds is the ultimate record and should be honored as such? 
As I said, busy program, jam-packed program. I don't even know if we're going to have enough time to get it all in, to be honest with you. Kevin McAlpin, Braves Radio Network, is going to join us coming up at 8 o'clock to preview Mets Bravos from the Atlanta perspective. John Harper, SNY, longtime baseball columnist. We'll talk a little Mets and Yanks. And Jerry Dulac of the Steelers Radio Network will go behind enemy lines for the Jets Week 4 opponent also later on on this Thursday evening. It is the Dan Grasso Show. It is 98.7 ESPN, and we will get this baby rolling right after this. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. If you're Judge, I think it would be a lot different if he was a jerk. Seriously. You know, if he was some egomaniac. And there's a lot of those guys in professional sports. A lot of guys. But because he's a good dude, because it doesn't really bring a lot of the attention on himself, I think he's easy to root for. And I think that the record is also something that you can easily support. Like, you know, by comparison... Let's go in the time machine and go back to 2001 when Bonds was assaulting the record books, right? We already went through 1998. I don't think that you could – 98, I don't think there was a situation to where the public was down on Maguire or Sosa because it was something new. It was fresh. Maguire was a decent guy. Uh, Sosa was this, you know, lovable personality, you know, Sammy, all that stuff, and everybody loved him. So they were kind of rooting for both guys. But then Bonds came along. And Bonds was already getting the reputation of being a surly guy, didn't really talk much to the media, um, you know, had a bit of an attitude and a disposition that was a little surly and stuff like that. So, plus 98 had already come along. And I think that Bonds, a lot of people, unless you were a Giants fan per se, I don't think there were a lot of people that were rooting for him necessarily. But this one is a little bit different. And Judge, after the game last night, said that this season wasn't necessarily about betting on himself. I never saw it as a bet. I never saw it as a bet on myself. You know, I knew no matter what, I'd be playing this year with the New York Yankees wearing pinstripes, and, you know, we weren't able to agree on something. But, you know, I changed my focus right then and there to, hey, let's go out there and, you know, have a great season for my teammates and do what I can to help put us in a good position for, you know, a long, deep postseason run. So um, I'm I'm just out there playing baseball. You know, I I don't try to look at the stats, look at the numbers, you know, just this incredible group of guys that we have in that room who continue to, you know, motivate me. We continue to push each other day in and day out. That's what it's all about. You know, that's that's the grind. That's what, that's what you look forward to. And I don't know about the betting on myself. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Does he feel relief that he finally hit 61? Uh, definitely. <laughs> definitely some relief. 
uh, getting to 61, you know, you try not to think about it, but it creeps into your head. And, you know, getting a chance to do it, you know, in a Yankee win, um, and especially on another night where, you know, Garrett Cole ties the, you know, all-time single season, you know, strikeout record, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty special day right there. Yeah, not for nothing. I mean, if you're Garrett Cole, I mean, buddy, you picked the wrong night to tie the strikeout record. I don't know if anybody really knew what it was, right? But, like, all the attention is on Aaron Judge, and, like, Cole must be, like, in the corner of the locker room somewhere, like, hey, guys, don't forget about me. I set the record. Hey, strikeouts. I tied the record. Don't forget about me. Not that Cole did that, but, you know, it's a funny scene to imagine in your head if you want to have a little laugh over it. But it was a cool night. He got the baseball back. And now we'll see what happens here over the next few days in the Bronx. All bets are off. Let's say hi to Adam. He is in Long Island. He is going to be our leadoff hitter tonight on the Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN. Hello, Adam. How are you? Hey, Dan. Uh, no pressure leading off. Huh? No pressure. Adam, look, just get on base. Whether it's a walk, a, a cheap hit in the infield, just get on base. I, I, think, I, got a, I think I got a good single here. Uh, so I listened to the Michael K. Show earlier. They had mentioned uh, some comments that Maris Jr. had made you know, about guys playing the right way, and this is the real uh, this is the real record, blah, blah, blah. I find it interesting him making those comments in light of what they did to his dad uh, with the asterisk. Um, I, listen, I, I'm of the opinion this is not the record. Barry Bonds holds the home run record. Listen, things happen in the game. We've played with guys scuffing baseballs, uh, 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 vaselining baseballs. We've played with hot baseballs and, and, and not hot baseball. I mean, the game has changed. Number of games have changed played every year. Changes to the rules. There's always changes in the game. What happens in the game, the, 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 you know, Bonds holds the home run record. That's kind of how I feel. And I just thought it was interesting, Maris Jr.'s records in, in light of his dad. I'll, I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, it's interesting. And, Adam, thanks for the phone call. Um, I was thinking of it, you know, like, the Roger Maris Jr., the, the Maris thing is funny to me. You know, like, I got a kick out of it, and I was, you know, joking around saying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he could finally now go home and relax after Judge finally hits the record. I mean, say what you want. I mean, the Maris family, they've almost been like rock, you know, rock groupies, for crying out loud. Just, like, traveling around, following Judge, following the Yankees, right? It's like you're riding on the, sneaking onto the tour bus at the very end. But... It goes back to something I said a little bit earlier. If Aaron Judge was a bad guy, would the Maris family be overly supportive and showing up for these games and being there and wanting to congratulate him and show support and, and so on and so forth? Um, speaking of Roger Maris Jr., he met the media after last night's game, and this is what he had to say as far as what home run 61 means to him. I think it means a lot, and it's not just for me. I think it means a lot for a lot of people, you know, that uh, he's clean, he's a Yankee, he plays the game the right way, and, uh, you know, I think it gives people a chance to look at somebody who, uh, you know, should be revered for hitting 62 home runs and not just as a, a guy who did it in the American League. He should be revered for, you know, being the actual single-season home run champ. I mean, that's really who he is if he hits 62. And uh, and I think that's what needs to happen. I think baseball needs to look at the records, and I think baseball should do something. See, I, I, but what can they do, right? And you know that that's the way they feel. 
You know that they feel that they were deprived of history because of what was a very interesting, deliberate time in the history of the game, which baseball knew exactly what was happening, and they deliberately turned the other cheek and just went along with their merry way, and they liked it because remember 1998, guys. Remember that whole period. And that was kind of like right in the throngs of the steroid era. We had just come off the 1994 baseball strike. World Series was canceled. And baseball's popularity took a little bit of a hit, right? The fans were outraged, if you were old enough to remember that time in 1994. I do. I mean, teams were, when, when baseball started back up again in 1995, I think it was at some time in April. It wasn't like the normal starting time. Like, the season was pushed back maybe like a couple of weeks or something. I remember teams, like the teams right here, Mets were like the first homestand. They were selling, I think, $5 tickets. It was either like $5 or one. It was like dirt cheap. You know, it was like 1940. For the entire ballpark, not just like a couple of sections for $5. It was the entire ballpark. So we went and I got a bunch of friends and we, we all went to the games. Those are the things that baseball was doing to try to win the fans back. So then it was still a few years removed. 1998 happens. Then all of a sudden, McGuire and Sosa. And they're trying to take a stab at setting what is one of the most revered records, not just in baseball, but in all of American sports. 61 is a number that everybody was aware of. Everybody. And for that to break that year by not one, but two people, think of how much added attention it brought to Major League Baseball. However, if you're the Maris family, I could also see you feel a certain way. Right? I could also see you being a little, what's happening? In fairness, in fairness, when 1998 was going on, they were right there at Bush Stadium too. When McGuire set that record, They were sitting in the front row just like they were following Aaron Judge. Because you know what? They talked about there being a little bit of a connection to St. Louis as well. Because Roger Maris, remember, after he was a Yankee, he finished off his career with the St. Louis Cardinals. Right? So they talked about, like, that relationship and what that meant. Maris won a World Series with the Cardinals in 67. So there was a little bit of that kind of, like, family bond with the organization and the history and that sort of stuff. It's, it, it, you know, I would probably feel the same way, to be quite honest with you. You would want to feel like somebody legitimate is breaking this record. And look, me personally as a baseball fan, when Bonds did his thing in 2001, I was not as wrapped up in it as I was in 1998 with McGuire and Sosa because we'd seen it already. Because then when Bonds came along a few years later, I mean, it was just like even shattered what those guys had done. And we had already been how many years deep In whatever sort of steroid discussion. I mean, like, if you were a fan of baseball, you were seeing guys put up ridiculous power numbers now for probably, you know, close to a decade when 2001 was here. And you're just like, you became so jaded to it. When Bonds hit that record that night, it was against the Nationals. Mike Bassick, the former Met lefty pitcher. I'm watching it, and it was like, "All all right, whatever. It wasn't one of those like on the edge of your couch or the edge of your seat type moments like it was in 98 or even like you're feeling right now with Judge. It was like, nah, yawn, been there, done that. But we're not a part of the family. But the Maris family, though, they're going to still continue to follow around Aaron Judge. That's how much it means to them.
Yeah, I'll be heading to New York. No matter how long it takes? Um, I, I don't think it's going to take very long. <laughs> yeah, I think he's loose. I think the party last night, the celebration, I think loosened him up. And uh, after he hit that home run and came to bat the next time, uh, you could just see his face. I mean, he's just, you know, he got up there and hit another seed. You know, it's just, you can tell he's back and he's, he's ready to go now, I think. So I think, uh, I think it'll happen in New York. And uh, that's where you want it to happen. That's where I want it to happen. I think the city of New York deserves it. The fans deserve it. I think it would be great for baseball if it happens in New York. And like what I mentioned there, and I said, you know, get to New York and hit 62 and you know, knock, the, knock the top off Yankee Stadium because it's going to be fun, you know. Now, if it doesn't happen in the Bronx this weekend, are they going? is the family going down to Arlington and they're going to have to go for four meaningless games against the Rangers? In the grand scheme of things, unless they check, you know, it's like on their bucket list because it's still a relatively new ballpark. Like, hey, we haven't been to that new ballpark there in Arlington. Hey, let's go check it out. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. More of your calls. We'll also get into the Mets because while the Yankees are still dealing with an individual achievement the rest of the way, the Mets are trying to accomplish something in the team sense, which normally you think they'd have wrapped up already. But not the way this division has unfolded this year. How big of a win was that last night? We'll talk about it. Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN. Hey, guys. Don't forget about me. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Uh, This is important information, though, that the guys are telling me. Earlier today, uh, Mike Greenberg, who, of course, you hear every day on this channel, 10 a.m. to noon, for his Greenie program. Uh, Mike Greenberg looked up the backstory on Frankie Lasagna, which I guess he could find anything on the internet these days. And Frankie Lasagna, the, the guy in Toronto who whiffed at catching the Judge 61 home run ball, he has a restaurant that does not actually have lasagna on the menu, believe it or not. Now, it, it, is it an Italian restaurant, guys? Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what kind of restaurant it was. Um, but I did know lasagna definitely was not on the list. Well, obviously, it depends on what the restaurant is, right? Because if it's, let's say, uh, you know, if it's a Mexican place, for example, I don't think he's having lasagna on the menu. Oh, I mean, unless it's – I did have a new type of lasagna, though. What kind? Uh, well, it's not like a lasagna, but it was almost like a cheddar salmon kind of thing. Cheddar salmon? Yeah. It was kind of weird. Like, it was – From where? Actually, homemade. I saw homemade. Homemade. Wait a second. Homemade. Now, this is this is something here. Yeah, this is. I actually, this th- is like newfound territory. Yeah, because I've actually had lasagna with like you know ground turkey, you know ground beef. Yeah, like, you can put anything in there and call it a lasagna. You get a flat noodle, stuff it up, and it's lasagna. Yeah, but you know cheddar. It was like cheddar. You know, at of yeah. the pasta, but salmon in between. It was like probably the best thing I've ever had. And you made this yourself? No, my sister made it. I. Not to disparage you in any way and say that you're not skilled in the kitchen. Oh, no, I'm oh. one of these people that isn't. So that's why I just, oh, no, no, you no. know. Yeah, I'm, I bow to anybody who can even put something in the microwave, which I could barely do. Listen, I'm uh, I'm pretty skilled in the kitchen, but I'm not at her level. Let's just say that. I make a mean bowl of cereal, though, I can tell you that. <laughs> the occasional sandwich every so often. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. nice scrambled egg. If oh, I, I don't even know if I can handle that. <laughs> no, no. Went out the house good nah, and burned down or something. I am a pretty good chef, though. Good. So salmon lasagna is it like a salmon lasagna? But you can't call it lasagna. You said, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would consider it lasagna, but it did. You know, it works the same way. You know, you layer everything a certain way, and it. What I am? If I'm Frankie Lasagna, 
And, and we got to get the details on the restaurant. We got to find out exactly what it is. It's an Italian it restaurant. It's an Italian restaurant. And because uh, he did an interview, he was doing interviews because he's now the new guy in town. Right. And he said that he had to make pizzas and all that. And uh, he says he actually hates lasagna. Can I be honest with you? Go on. I'm not a fan of lasagna either. See? I'm not. I'm I mean, like Garfield when it comes to lasagna. <laughs> Uh, I never, I never heard anybody refer to themselves as Garfield, but okay, I know what you mean though. That was lasagna was on his to do list. I just don't like. I'm not a big uh, ricotta cheese guy. Okay, I, I mean, yeah. I, do. you I know, get that too. And if and if you don't like ricotta cheese, you're not gonna like lasagna. I mean, I'll eat it, but it's got to be like as frequent as Haley's Comet comes around. You know what I mean? Maybe like once every twenty years. Okay, I think before the same lasagna, which I had probably like a couple months ago. Yeah, I haven't had lasagna in years, so. So you're okay with it? Yeah, I'm I'm okay with not having lasagna, so I get that portion of it because it is a filling kind of meal. I could eat it once, and I'm like, all right, I'm good for the rest of the week. You know it's gross when, like, lasagna, like, it's really, like, overcooked. Like, you know, like, when they bake it, and it's just, like, it's, like, dark on top and everything. Like, oh, then, like, then like to super, me, it's just, yeah. super crunchy and hard. Oh, yeah. no, thanks, man. Like, what are you doing to people? No way. So if, if I'm Frankie Lasagna, and let's say he did catch the baseball, would it have gone maybe like mounted in a trophy case or something like at the restaurant? But then, but then, so you run the risk if you do that. You better have like armed guards there 24 hours a day because somebody's going to want to break in and steal the baseball because they know they can get a fortune for it. I mean, I'm sure if your name is Frank Lasagna, you definitely have armed guards. I don't know about that. I'm just saying. What is he guarding? Pizzas? You know? Pe- I mean, pepperoni? I mean, pizza boxes. Listen, a butcher <laughs> shop is uh, not one to mess with. I guess so. Uh, 800-919-3776. Let's say hi to Tommy. He's in Middletown. He's up nice here on the Dan Grasso Show. Tommy, how are you? Hey, Dan. Good. How are you? Good, Tom. What's going on? Uh, real quick. Second time on here. Love the show. Love what you do with the Jets. Thank you. Thank um, you. Hey, thank you, Tom. I appreciate you. So I just wanted to talk about the uh, the home run record, and in my heart of hearts, I think the Barry Bonds 2001 that's the real record. Um, you know, I, I think it's such an injustice that the way he kind of got treated for all that. He had a Hall of Fame career for for about 20 years, regardless of that. He broke the uh, the record for most intentional walks in one year. He broke the record for walks that year, and he broke the home run home run record. I mean. Um, what he was doing every time he came to the plate it was showtime and i think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that uh position players and hitters weren't the only ones taking steroids in that era there's plenty of pitchers uh that were caught cheating as Correct. well you know and it's i don't think it's fair that mlb kind of just uh turned a blind eye to it didn't police it and now you know guys like bonds are, are the fall guys what he did was incredible i mean if you go back and look at the highlights i don't know how you don't get chills just looking at it these days, and you look at what happened uh, the last 35 at-bats with mm-hmm. Judge trying to just tie the record. What did he have, 12 or 13 home runs? And that was like a pretty high amount of walks during that stretch, I guess, if you take the whole uh, season into consideration. And what Bonds was doing, I mean, I saw a stat that uh, Bonds had more intentional walks in an 11-game stretch than Judge has had this whole season. So, you know, you can't lose sight of the fact that it's a round barrel. You're trying to square up with a round ball coming 100 miles an hour at you, maybe a little less. But nonetheless, I mean, I know the steroids help with recovery and strength, but the, the precision with which you have to swing, make contact, especially knowing when these guys are literally pitching around you every at-bat, I mean, you could probably go back the entire season, look at all the pitches that were thrown inside to him, and tell me, tell me how many he missed. 
I think it was just an incredible season, and I, I just don't think we can overlook it. No, I, I mean, it's Tom, it should be celebrated. Absolutely a thousand percent. My own personal beef with the Barry Bonds situation in 2001, like I told you, I was past it already. I was done because I had been caught up already in the whole steroid era for, as I said, close to a decade. And all these numbers the guys were putting up, I just didn't even acknowledge them. I didn't even I didn't have to play video games anymore. I could just watch real baseball. That was the closest thing to a video game. What these guys were doing. You're right about Bonds, though, because remember, it was 2001 is when he set the record for the home runs. But that four-year stretch, he won four straight MVPs from 01 to 04. And in, you could make an argument that 2004 was a better season than 2001. Tom just brought up the walks. In 2004, you know how many times Bonds was intentionally walked? 120 times. Think about that for a second. That's almost an intentional walk per game. Remember uh, Buck Showalter when he was managing the Arizona Diamondbacks during those years? Well, at least he was in 2001. He walked Barry Bonds with the bases loaded, intentionally walked him. Because he just figured, you know what, let me cut my losses now. I'll give up one run guaranteed as opposed to Bonds hitting the ball out of the ballpark and then I'm down four. Is Judge going to reach that territory? I don't think this year. But that's why Bonds was on like another level. And, and look... Everything Tom just said about the, the, the hitters, the pitchers, there were so many people that were doing things during those days. Yeah, 100% agreed, agreed. But I've done like a 180 on the whole thing as far as my thoughts and feelings. You know, was the, the Hall of Fame is this other big argument, which always seems to come up with these guys. And initially, I may be sided with the majority of folks out there who thought, you know what, they cheated. Keep them out of the Hall of Fame. They don't belong. It's a knock on guys who did it legitimately, who did it clean. But then over the years, like, I got thinking about it. Because first of all, the Hall of Fame is decided by baseball writers, who you like to think are objective, but I don't think it's fair to say that they all are, right? Think about the guy who didn't vote for Derek Jeter. You know, think about guys who, like, didn't vote. For, you know, any some of these guys, like, that are just no, like, how do you not vote for Ken Griffey Jr. for the Hall of Fame? Like, how isn't he unanimous when he was up, right? Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver had, like, the highest percentage of votes to get into the Hall of Fame. That stood for a while. How do you not unanimously vote Tom Seaver into the Hall of Fame, right? So I don't think that that necessarily is the best way to do it. And For a writer and a human being to sit there and decide the fate of someone on whether they may or may not have cheated during their career, you're essentially playing the role of judge, you know, and executioner all into one. I don't think that's right. And because a majority of the folks during those years in baseball were using something, you might as well honor the guys who did it better than others. Not cheated, I mean, but went out there and actually performed on the field. And as we know, Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame. He was the commissioner of the sport and let this all happen underneath his watch. You got managers who are in the Hall of Fame who won many games during those years, including championships. Are we going to take them out of the Hall of Fame? Are we going to go through like a fine-tooth comb of all the games that they won and were immediately impacted by steroid users and take those wins away from them? And more importantly, there's guys in the Hall of Fame now who probably cheated. That you don't know, I don't know, and anybody knows. And they kept it a really, really good secret. So are we going to go back in time and do a deep dive into their habits and so on and so forth? And then we're going to throw them out of the Hall of Fame? No, thank you. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
So yesterday I was saying, you know, I was trying to keep it as cool and calm as possible after that disaster of a game on, what was it? No, last night was Wednesday. So Tuesday night when the Mets lost. When Carlos Carrasco put him in a hole before you were even in your seat. And the bats couldn't really recover despite Alonzo's best. Then the bullpen gave up even more, and they lose. And, and you know, I, I was in here yesterday doing Greeny's show, and I'm saying, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why is it the Marlins? All the time. 2007, 2008, every time the Mets are trying to maybe flirt with prosperity a little bit, why do the stinking Marlins, who are playing out the string, Don Mattingly already is, is, is planning his offseason in Evansville, Indiana, riding his John Deere tractor, not even thinking about the, the train wreck that are the Marlins, and yet they come up here and they're going to take two games from the Mets. And then they get a lead last night, and Taiwan Walker, even though he battled, he still gave up runs, and the offense can't get anything going, and it's just like more of the same. And I also said yesterday, I said, if the Mets don't win this game tonight against the Marlins, they're not winning this division, because it would send awful... Awful vibes going into that Brave series. Awful. And as I said, this is not exactly an organization throughout their long 60-year history that has enjoyed prosperity. Few and far between, if you know what I'm talking about. But little by little, they chipped away. Little by little. And most unlikely of individuals in the fact that it was Eduardo Escobar, who ends up driving in all five runs. The guy who was, you know, a disappointment, if you will, during his first few months as a Met. So much so that he was pretty much viewed as a platoon player once all those reinforcements came in. And that he had lost his time in the everyday starting lineup because he wasn't producing. But on Sept- in September, he's been on fire. He's been on fire. He's the guy that you thought that he was going to be. And little by little, like you look at his season right now, and if I say, you know, Eduardo Escobar is batting 240. He's got 20 dingers, and he's driven in close to 70 runs. If I would have told you at the beginning of the year that's what his stat line's going to be, he said, oh, yeah, we'll take it. And, oh, by the way, he plays a pretty good third base. And he frequents Fogo de Chao, which I got to get to, by the way. There's one in the city here. It's not that far. Love that stuff. Mets saved their division chances last night. I know what you're going to tell me. Well, that's nonsense because they win all three games of the Braves. It's like this Marlins series never happened. Yeah, true, but would you have been confident? And oh, by the way, how about this? You talk about doubling down. They even got help from the Nationals last night. The Nationals. Who somehow, some way, blew a lead to the Braves in that game in the late innings. And you thought the Braves are going to do what they've been doing all year. And no, the Nationals still find a way to take it in 10. I'm texting my buddy Kevin Franson, who does Nationals games on on TV, on Masson, and I'm saying, yay, thank you, thanks, buddy. Kevin Franson, by the way, who got written up by the New York Post a few days ago because he made some, you know, joking remarks about Pete Alonso when it comes to him getting hit by pitches during the season, the Mets, and blah, 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 blah. And the Post took it so seriously and decided to, you know, put the video clip and everything, and now Franson's like public enemy number one, according to Mets fans, but relax. He's a jokester. He didn't mean it. Leave Franny alone. So here's what it sets up for this weekend. Mets win one of these three games, which I've said for weeks. That's the the bare minimum. I would even settle for one win. Mets win one game. They got the tiebreaker from the Braves, and they control their destiny going into that final series of the season against the Nationals. 
right? If the Mets win one, then the two teams will be tied come Monday. And all the Mets have to do is win out because they have the tiebreaker. Now, if they win two games this weekend against the Braves, they'll be two up in the division at the end of the weekend with three to play. I think you'll take that, won't you? And then your magic number to clinch the division will be one going into those final three games. So, for the lack of a better term, if the Mets win this series against the Braves, take two out of three, they essentially are going to clinch the division. Yay! <laughs> because there's no margin for error. That was Garrett Cole, right? That was, the, that was Garrett Cole chiming in there? Yeah. And then if the Mets sweep this series somehow, they'll pop champagne on Sunday night. Remember, Sunday night is, is the Sunday game's an ESPN game. So you get to watch a little Sunday night baseball. I don't know if there's a K-Rod cast that night. There may be, there may not be. No, there's no, no, that's right. So they're done with the K-Rod, right? So there's no, so th- I mean, that works out well if you're a fan. Because no matter what, if, if you're a Met fan, and it doesn't matter if you root for the Giants or you root for the Jets, Jets and Giants are playing at 1 o'clock on Sunday, right? They'll be done by, you know, you say 4, 4.30. Then you can have your dinner, you know, maybe around 6 o'clock or something like that. Digest, relax, maybe even have a nice little dessert. And then you sit down at 7 o'clock and you watch Mets Braves, which could be a clinching of the division scenario for this baseball team. And how great would that be? Now, worst case scenario, unfortunately, if the Mets somehow get swept this weekend, then they don't even get the tiebreaker with the Braves. Atlanta gets that. And the Mets are going to be two games back with three to play. And their tragic number, if you will, for elimination is going to be one. But that's not going to happen, is it? I know games aren't won and lost on paper, but look at the pitching matchup, guys. It favors the Mets in every game. DeGrom against Freed. Scherzer against Wright. Bassett against Morton. If they pitch to the back of their baseball card like they're expected to, Mets should have a fighting chance in every single one. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>